which of the songs was your favorite, Ian, that was used in the movie? <laughs> uh, like, between Sowing the Seeds of Love and, gosh, what was... There was a Farm Animal Friends. Farm <laughs> <laughs> There were there were a few others. They were, they were just amazing all around. I, I can't actually say which one was my favorite because I can't remember all of them. But I really do like sowing the seeds of love. It, it is just a great injury, yeah, yeah, and it's just such a good song. I really feel like sowing the seeds. It really sets the tone for the movie. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Passive Fear, the weekly podcast where we give our takes on horror movies and explore the opinions of our audience. I'm Ian. And I'm Marshall. And today we'll be having a look at Gravy, a comedy horror film made in 2015, co-written by James Roday and Todd Harthen and directed by James Roday. Um, well, Ian, uh, do you want to go into the teaser? Do you want to tell us just kind of what it was about? Yeah, yeah, just a little, little uh, sort of little thing to get you interested without spoiling nah. anything. <laughs> it's a late night on Halloween, and a group of close-knit Mexican restaurant workers are preparing to close up and head home. Little do they know that a trio of dreadful individuals have a much more terrifying and eccentric plan for their night. There are no windows. The doors have been sealed shut. The workers are hopelessly trapped with their tormentors. They'll have to fight back, else their asses might just be served up with gravy. Oh! <laughs> I mean, you ended it with the title, Pete? Holy crap. <laughs> How does he do it? <laughs> the question is really why. Why do I keep doing it? <laughs> no, because it's perfect. Uh, what'd you rate this movie, Marshall? Man, dude, I gave... See, last week we did Hereditary, and I rated it like way lower than everyone else had rated it. And I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. I gave this movie a solid 8.5 out of 10. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, like, I'm, I'm the outlier both times here. You really are. Because I, I give this movie a three. A three, damn. See? So it's a dividing audience, and I freaking <laughs> love how dividing it is. But it's like the opposite of dividing of Blair Witch. It's like a different kind of division. Yeah, I, I was considering it. I was considering giving it a two. Uh, I phrased it by one point for enjoyment, but yeah. So we uh we gave it a five point seven five. Our audience averaged out to a three point four. <laughs> so by far it's our lowest rated. This one. was not a well liked movie. I think it's this. This is the <laughs> first movie I believe that's been under a five. Oh, uh, and the audience, yes. Yeah, for the audience, and definitely the first time I've rated a movie under five. Uh, so what what brought about the disenjoyment of the movie for you, Ian? There was a lot of things I didn't like. <laughs> um, it's it might be a lot to get into, but I I'll just say that I I wasn't really a fan of the characters. Uh, it was specifically of the employees of the restaurant. I didn't like any of them as characters. 
Um, Interesting. I I feel like they were just unconvincing. Uh, There were just some some weird artistic choices I wasn't a fan of. And I don't know. I I like I know it's supposed to be a silly movie, but there were just some points that were just it, it felt like people's actions. And I know that three of these people are demented are supposed to be some sort of like demented psychopaths or something, but they're not well. Yeah, but still like actions, uh, especially actually of restaurant employees frequently didn't make sense to me. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, which was frustrating. So uh, I got more to go into, but yeah, just as a basis, uh, that's that's right. why I did not like this movie. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, okay. Well, hit us with that sweet summary, and then we'll delve more into it. Okay. Let's do it. It's late at night on Halloween when Anson enters a convenience store to buy some sorbet. He has an awkward and eccentric persona about him, which leads him to flirt with the similarly awkward and eccentric cashier, Bethany. When you were born, what name were you given? Anson? Anson, like Manson. Well, yeah, sort of. That was weird. It totally rhymed. It does rhyme. It totally rhymes. Nearby, the employees of a Mexican restaurant and bar are closing up and having a small party to celebrate the bartender, Carrie, becoming a paramedic. <laughs> Aside from Carrie, there are five employees. The waitress, Cricket, the cook, Yannick, the busboy, Hector, the manager, Chewy, and the security guard, Manketa. Other than the employees, there's also Bert, who fell asleep at the bar while trying to get over a marriage proposal gone wrong. I'm leaving you for Jess. She's an emo. She plays in a Susie and the Banshees cover band. He goes to the bathroom to clean himself up, but ends up tripping and knocks himself out. Back in the kitchen, where the restaurant workers are celebrating, manager Chewy notices the back door is jammed, and asks if Winketa can go around to see what's blocking it. Wiggy! Something's blocking this door. Uh, go around, I need you to find out what that is, please. She agrees, and Cricket goes with her, as well, since she's about to leave for the night. But before they reach the door, they're ambushed and tied up by Anson, his brother Steph, and Steph's girlfriend Mimi. Well, suit yourself, Roz or Steph. The uh, welding bandit bows over there is my brother Anson, and the lovely pussycat behind you is Mimi, the future mother of my Hello Kitties. The attackers then quickly capture the rest of the employees, tying them all to chairs in the main eating area. Steph informs them that the doors have been welded shut, their phones have been destroyed, and that the restaurant, as they already know, has no windows. So basically what I'm telling you here is that the stage has clearly been set for an old-school, pseudo-European, gangster-style slumber party. They explain that they're not there for money, but rather the employees will all be participating in various activities for the night. They then proceed to lick and smell all of the employees. This is too much for Winketa, and she yells that she will not go down without a fight to these lunatics. Y'all are some punk-ass, crazy-eyed killers, huh? Mimi warns her that if he doesn't stop talking, she'll lose her voice. After Ranketa refuses to stay quiet, Mimi closes her mouth around Ranketa's throat, rips out her voice box with her teeth, and then eats it. 
Steph, somewhat annoyed at Mimi for not following protocol, then explains that throughout the night's demented activities, each employee will be killed and made into a dish for him, Anson, and Mimi to enjoy. Okay, what the hell? The cat's already out of the sack? We're gonna eat you guys. All of you, the raw, the cooked, one at a time until we are so stuffed we can barely move because that's who we are. Manager Chewy asks that the attackers take everything they want from the restaurant, but to let his employees go. And Steph agrees, but only if he can shoot an orange off of Chewy's head with a crossbow while blindfolded. If I can hit the tangelo off the top of your head, I'll let your people go. And if you miss? You know, I had you pegged as a glass half full kind of guy. Seeing no other choice, Chewie agrees, but unfortunately, Steph manages to shoot him straight through the head, making him the first dish on the menu. Well, I missed the target. Yeah. But you hit the tree. Steph then chains up Yannick in the kitchen to cook the employees as they are dispatched in different sick and sadistic games, starting with Chewie. For the next activity, they play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, a trivia game. Naturally, Winketa loses since she's unable to talk, and she's killed and butchered as well. But I don't believe Roz is going to be able to participate in a lot of the activities we have planned. At least not in any kind of competitive way. At the same time Winketa is being killed, Bert returns from upstairs and is captured and hung upside down in the kitchen for Mimi to play with. Carrie, having won the trivia game, gets to be untied and is made to help cook. While she and Anson are grabbing agrees, she pretends to be romantically interested in Anson to gain his trust. I think I might be crushing on you a little bit. While eating Winketa's corpse, Steph starts to experience anaphylactic shock, and slowly realizes Yannick has snuck basil into his food, which he had forbid earlier, as he is highly allergic to it. Don't be shy about experimenting a little, okay? We're game for it, believe you me. However, under no circumstances are you to put basil in anything. Examining the list of items, he realizes that Yannick used the Army of Portugal cipher to tell Carrie to bring him basil. You snuck a dash of basil on there, didn't you, Yannick? I myself have dabbled in the business of diabolique. While Steph and Yannick start fighting each other, in the other room, Hector and Cricket manage to free themselves. Anson and Hector square off upstairs, while Cricket and Carrie fight Mimi. Back in the kitchen, after a long battle, with both parties sustaining horrible wounds, Steph manages to kill Yannick, but the anaphylactic shock continues to worsen. Mimi kills Cricket, but Carrie manages to kill her. And just as it appears Hector will kill Anson, Anson manages to kill Hector instead. Woo! Well, that totally worked. Eesh. Anson and Carrie reunite and head into the kitchen, where Anson sees his brother's worsening condition and learns from Steph that Carrie betrayed him and brought Yannick the basil. Carrie nonchalantly confirms this and further tells him her apparent romantic interest in him was a complete ruse. You lied to me! I trusted you! You lied to me! Yeah, guilty as charged. I'm not really attracted to dickless cannibals. While Anson holds his brother as he succumbs to his wounds in anaphylaxis, Carrie frees Bert. Together, they head upstairs to escape through the only opening in the restaurant, the home for the air conditioning unit. However, as they make their escape, Anson suddenly runs out of the kitchen to attack Carrie after Steph dies. Well, 
Carrie manages to quickly pick up and load the crossbow from earlier and shoots Anson in the gut, which seems to kill him. Carrie and Bert continue on their way upstairs to the air conditioner, and Carrie kicks it out to reveal the opening. Carrie pushes Bert through first, but he fails to brace his fall and he dies when his head hits the ground outside. Brace yourself for the landing, Bert! Bert! Bert, are you okay? Carrie prepares to crawl out as well when Anson reappears and chases her, managing to take a bite out of her leg as she crawls out of the opening. Carrie! Carrie survives the landing, and the crossbow bolt in Anson's gut prevents him from falling her out of the AC opening. Carrie then rides away on Bert's Vespa, but is hit by an ambulance at a four-way stop. I beat you! I won! Oh dear God, what have we done? We're supposed to save lives, not, not... Several months later, we see Anson consulting with his brother, who is now a pickled head impaled on a stick, before heading into the convenience store to woo the cashier he met at the start of the movie. He gives Bethany a single red rose while proposing a romance between them. This is for you. Well, the ball is officially in your court now, Bethany Lynn Goolsby. Is it going to be one spoon or two? Which Bethany enthusiastically agrees to. As Bethany and Anson share a sorbet, the camera pulls back to reveal Carrie across the street, scarred but alive, taking photos of them. She smiles slyly into the camera before the screen cuts to black. I like it, Ian. Uh, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> did you did you go over the part where uh, the Last Supper? Um, which part is that? The Last Supper. It's a. Uh, it's when Hector is eating out cricket to get to the razor blade. Oh, <laughs> you refer to it as the. That's what Mimi calls it. Yeah. As she's walking oh. by chasing Bert, she, she's like, last no, supper. No, so I, I summarize that into, uh, you know, they just managed to escape because it's kind of difficult to explain. But yes, like, for some reason, Cricket has a stash of cocaine, which includes a razor blade in her panties. Mm-hmm. And her and Hector, since they're both tied up, uh, need to get to the razor blade to cut themselves loose. So Hector has to use his mouth to retrieve it classic so there you go i think we've all been there (laughs) that's incredible (laughs) so although the characters ian you said uh, you said you weren't huge on the characters and you you mentioned like the two sides being different the cannibals and the employees which side Mm -hmm. did you find less appealing well so that actually has to do with one of the things that i do like about the movie Ah, okay okay. um I, i add one point for this 
part what I do like. And I had another point for enjoyment. <laughs> Those are the only two points I give this movie on top of the one. Uh, and that, that first point, that comes from uh, what I really do like about this movie. And that is the interactions between Anson and his brother and Anthony and Bethany, uh, the, the cashier. Mm -hmm. Those interactions are what I really enjoy. I think they're super well done. I um, like in the beginning and ends, I like the interactions between Anson and Bethany because I think they're kind of sweet. And it's especially weird that they're sweet in the end when we know what Anson has done. Mm -hmm. But like, I still can't help feel like, oh, wow, that's so cute. <laughs> Even though he's a cannibal who just murdered a bunch of people. Um, and I also especially like the interactions between Anson and his brother because they're no not they're so nonchalant and natural uh just casual even though they're talking about completely sadistic demented things uh and just the way that they talk about it is so well done it seems very believable that they they there's something messed up with them you know they they don't have the right feelings during their during what they're doing i get what so you mean I, that's what i like yeah their interactions are really well done i like and uh i feel like psych kind of comes out when you see their interactions uh because james roday the director was of course sean spencer of psych um mm. and like he directed a few psych episodes particularly the ones that were based in like kind of a horror atmosphere mm -hmm. um the one that sticks out in my head is tuesday the 17th he uh <laughs> and he did, he did a great job with those uh so he's kind of a horror guy um but i do mm -hmm. think like the relationship we see between like steph and anson are is very much what we see between like kind of sean and gus and psych it's a very similar dynamic yeah and and i like that uh so those characters were interesting mm -hmm. um mimi was fine uh i i just don't like any of the employees characters and is that is that just because of their strange kind of like decision making and rash behavior? Well, that's another problem. But it's also I just they never give me a reason to feel bad for them. OK, interesting. Um, like aside from them just being people who are going through something tragic, like there's no feeling there. I, I don't sympathize with them. Uh, one, I mean, it it part of that is because they keep making dumb decisions or their lack of good decisions. Uh, but another part of that is just that we don't get to really know them as characters. I feel like we just get a sort of surface almost, um, we sort of, they come off, they come off more as stereotypes or caricatures yeah. than actual real people. Um, like for example, you start with, uh, Cricket who comes off as just, oh, the classic, I guess, sorority stereotype who's doesn't who's very selfish and doesn't really care about people, at least it seems at first. And, you know, it's like she she's talks on the phone and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we're uh, introduced to uh, Winketa, who I guess is just supposed to be uh, the fat person who likes eating or something. Um, and then we're introduced to the chef who's just a French guy who talks in a very French accent and he's a chef uh, and like, I don't know. It's just, they don't feel like real people. There's they, no, I don't see complexity in them. They didn't all. have like enough depth of character for you. Yeah. So, and, and again, that's, that's really only a problem 
because it means I don't really care about them. And when I don't care about them, it's a much less interesting movie. And it's interesting you say that because usually that's a that's a gripe I have with movies is like you need to give me a reason to care for our characters. Um, with this movie, the same way horror plays on ambiguity, that's where we kind of draw fear from. I think that a lot of comedy rests on absurdity. I think the the two go hand in hand. Um, and I think that giving us just these. It's it's what allowed you to laugh is that these people are there's some they're no more than tropes. They're no more than uh, caricatures, like you said. And mm. it's this interesting thing with comedy uh, where if you and horror comedy it definitely doesn't apply, but you can sit down an audience and there was a test done of like the small dog walking through a construction site um, and the way the movie's framed, a bunch of steel beams fall on it and it dies. And, and in testing with the audience, uh, that scene failed horribly. Then no one laughed, even though it was meant as a comedic moment, because there was blood coming from the steel beams. They removed the blood, and suddenly the audience was laughing again. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what happens with the characters in an emotional way, is that when we start care- when we care for our characters and we see these terrible things happening, it's like a, it's like seeing blood. It's we don't we're not able to laugh at it because we're too sad that our character died. Um, so I think for the sake of comedy, it worked really well that we just had caricatures. Cause I don't, I don't rate this as I would a typical horror movie. Cause it's clearly mm. not trying to scare you. It's, it's trying to make you wince pr- with all the gore and all the, the gruesomeness it has, but it's not trying to like keep you up at night. Uh, right. Totally. Um, and and of course, absurdist humor can also be hard to to rate because it is by its nature absurd. Yes. Uh, so to some extent, you are supposed to be confused and annoyed by it. <laughs> exactly. Um, and 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 I I can definitely tell you're not rating it like a normal horror movie because of course, um, you know, you frequently do bring up uh, uh, one gripe that I think you have a lot is uh, when people don't have a, a sin or something they did to yeah. bring upon bring doom upon themselves. And this movie is doesn't have that at all. No, right? these are just a bunch of people who are doing well. And, you know, one of them made into paramedic school and the manager is a great guy who like gave them all second chances and they're all being killed and eaten by cannibals. Mm. <laughs> so it's a, uh... And I would call it a comedy horror, not a horror comedy, because I don't think that uh, if you go in there like being like, I want to watch a good horror movie tonight. Don't watch this movie because you're not going to be watching a good horror movie. You're watching a comedy uh, that just has aspects of horror. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it kind of parodies the horror genre in a manner of which that makes it a comedy. Whereas, for example, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, it parodies it on a much more similar level to what horror is. Um. So horror level horror lovers will typically like Tucker and Dale more because it doesn't stray so far from typical horror. Mm. Uh, where this it it does stray far. It strays uh, into just com- it's it's just a comedy that has horror with it. I do think you will be better off describing this as an absurdist comedy yes. than a than a comedy horror or horror comedy for sure. In in the case of when you're if you're trying to see if someone would enjoy it or not, and. I can enjoy absurdist comedy, but yeah, I, I don't know. Like it just, I, I just think good enough from this movie. 
and that's fine. I mean, it's a very dividing audience because absurdist comedy uh, rests in this weird place. Um, it's it differs from slapstick in a weird way, even though slapstick is kind of in a form of absurdist comedy. But slapstick is just things happening to happen. Um, where mm-hmm. in like a slapstick, you'll see a guy get hit with a paddle and fall down the stairs. And that's funny. Um, I'm not huge on slapstick, but um, absurdist com like a, like a really nice absurdist comedy will play on the fact that like the paddle was there because of X and X reason in the past and it was set up and the dude earlier said like I have never once fallen downstairs or something um, and I think that's what differs the two and I think that's what makes absurdist comedy a lot more appealing than just like slapstick and I think that's what makes it work I guess in a way this movie set my expectations too high that I wasn't I I wasn't convinced by its absurdist punchlines. I, I feel like just the way that it was set up, I expected something different than what it gave me. And I think that could be where some of my disappointment came in. And uh, you see, what I love is they set up everything they do. And I, I watching it like for second and third time, you see like how much they almost like tell you everything that's going to happen in the movie as they go through. Um. From the beginning, he loves sorbet because it cleanses his palate. And like, why are you cleansing your palate if you don't plan to go eat something else? He's a cannibal. Um, mm-hmm. Another big one is the little brother, uh, Steph, saying to Anson, man, if she were to kill you, I'd put your head, pickle your head and put it on a stick. And then the reverse yeah. happens. And and I thought that was funny. <laughs> and uh, I, I love that, that they set up so much stuff like that. There's so much that is just foreshadowed um but not in like your classic gloomy foreshadowing way it's just saying like here's what's gonna happen you could guess um mm-hmm. and i think that gives it like a good amount of rewatchability which i think can be really nice for a movie well i do think going back to why i don't like the characters i think a problem with it is that it almost felt like the characters actions represented the direction the movie wanted to go rather than the characters uh, doing things that you would expect them to do and it ending up in a very absurd way, right? It having an absurd outcome. Like, uh, for instance, one part that irritated me was that the chef and how he was acting. Like, one second he's crying that his manager Chewie died and the next second he's just scooping meat out of him and cooking it and seeming to show no emotion. Like, I know people react to grief differently, but that's just kind of weird. And then he talks about how at least he can make his friends into something tasty. It's just it's just weird. <laughs> it, it is weird. Uh, I never saw the chef. I always thought it was interesting that the chef never really showed that much grief. Um, and they they weirdly set that up later as like he poisoned people. Um, but the what I loved about that was. He, you clearly tell like this chef knows he's in charge in some manner. He tries to keep some kind of control. So and he knows that from the kitchen is where he's going to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. I, I find that I find that just really interesting. I, just, I don't know why. I just think that's just a really different kind of like he because he's very much filling a kind of a caricature role, mm-hmm. but in a very interesting, unique way to me. I do think that what would have actually got made this movie a lot better for me is if the movie decided to be, um, and I know this 
I, I guess nowadays maybe this is expected or it's a trope and sometimes it can get old. But I think for this movie, it would have been helpful for it to be a little more meta. So like it, it would make fun of itself in certain areas. Uh, like, you know, when um, that guy knocks out Anson, right? Why don't they, why, why do they stop him from punching him? Like, why, why don't they just kill him? Like if, if someone like pointed that out, like a character pointed that out so that the movie made fun of themselves for not doing that, I wouldn't be as irritated at the character's actions because they're sort of pointing out their failings as they fail. And it's interesting you say that because, well, Bert, right after that, he does say, why are we running? He's dead, which I feel like was kind of pointing that out. Well, actually, that was the scene where Anson got shot with the crossbow. But yes, if they had more of that, I think I could have enjoyed it a lot more uh, Okay, because I, I did enjoy that part. Like that was a sort of meta you know, why are we doing this stupid horror thing or whatever? Like, um, I think that would have worked out better. Like, uh, maybe, maybe Steph, like asking him, wow, you seem weirdly chill about cooking your friends. And then he says, you know, something like, oh, well, you know, I, they're still my friends as, as food. I'm just making them the best they can be given their current state or just something like that. Just something to make their decisions make sense in an absurdist environment. Interesting. Okay. Um, I, I do think the two moments of meta we get are from Bert because I don't, they didn't delve into the meta really. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, Bert, and it's really, they're really close together because Bert also says, I don't know why I'm alive either. It doesn't add up. Uh, which I, I love that line because Bert is just such a helpless character throughout it. Um, yeah, I, I do enjoy Bert. Uh, and I, I think he brings just like this wonderful flavor of absurdity. Um, uh, I, actually, what I really would have liked as like this movie's ending um, is Bert like falls to the ground and knocks himself out. He doesn't die. And then Carrie comes next and she rides off in his Vespa. And then Bert like lifts up his head to see her just get slammed by an ambulance. And he's the survivor. That would have been really funny. Interesting. interesting. <laughs> like somehow he's the guy who survives. I I don't know. I think I I did like Bert dying like that because I think it just built so much on his helplessness. Like he he has the opportunity to get out and like he just he dies because he's just still madly in love. It's just ridiculous. It did like I I do get it and it does make sense given his character. Um, but just as a personal preference, I don't find it as a funny of punchline because it's predictable like you know when he's climbing out that window he's just gonna slam his head on the concrete he's gonna die right you, you kind of just know um given his character it would have been funny to see something different happen and <laughs> what i like is that they do lean into it like they they paint it like of course he's not being careful and he's gonna fall um and i feel like it creates a bit of like comedic suspense is what it does for me is it's like oh no bird don't do it and then it's like oh my god bird are you serious i guess that's your slapstick right <laughs> Uh, um, it, and I do like that Carrie, of course, who's becoming a paramedic gets hit by an ambulance. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, there's some irony there. You see, I would argue it's not slapstick cause it's not sudden. Cause we've, he set that up the whole movie through, uh, the whole movie. He's just, he can't forget about this girl that dumped him and turned out to be, uh, that turned out to be lesbian. And it's just. I, I just love how much setup there was behind that. And of course, that's the pinnacle of where it would go. I suppose so. Although you could also say that, you know, he's just sort of helplessly 
going through life and so he would continue to do so rather than it coming to an end at that point possibly but yeah i love um i want to talk about james roday and dule's dule hills uh their appearance sean spencer and, and gus yeah sean spencer and gus uh i because uh I'll, what was great about this movie was i i don't follow james roday's work too closely even though what i've seen i love but it was after psych had ended which of course all psych fans including me were just like man that's so sad i love psych it's gone and then this project came out and we were like oh my god there's more uh like we want to see sean and gus and i love that he didn't just make it sean and gus again they used the two brothers were from psych they were both characters in psych that repeated Mm -hmm. um across a few episodes but i just i love that he made an appearance without making the movie just like sean and gus in a horror movie because i think that would have been too easy to do yeah yeah i can appreciate that (laughs) it's it's branching outside of psych which i think is uh which i think is great he's showing like he has skills beyond just what psych is um well uh <laughs> go, go go for you another thing i don't like about the movie <laughs> yeah no it's serious. um I, I mean i wonder what you think about this so throughout the movie well throughout part of the movie assuming mostly the beginning uh when we're first introduced to these cannibals and then for a little more we occasionally get cartoonish sound effects mm-hmm. um which was very off-putting to me uh mostly because they were very inconsistent like it, it wasn't like a consistent cartoonish effect for everything like sometimes you just have very realistic gross sound effects of like gut stuff but then at another point you'd have like a, a bugs bunny sound effect and like a, a clown honk and just it's very off-putting to me. Like I, I didn't know what to think about that. I I do think that was an interesting thing that they did was put some cartoon sound effects. I think lots of them weren't so foreground that it didn't bother me like crazy. The one that did bother me was when Hector was being slammed into the ceiling fan, and uh, it plays this weird like just some like I I I like in the background. Uh, some mm-hmm. track like that with like trumpets and stuff, and it's just and I was just like, that's that's a little strange. Hold on, like I don't that that one definitely stuck out, and I was just like, I don't know why that is there. Yeah. Um, well, all I can say is it didn't really seem to add anything to the movie, in my opinion. Uh, it just felt out of place because I don't feel like they leaned into it enough for it to be like a consistent thing to make to, of of absurdity. Uh, so it it was just. It felt out of place to me. And, and see, I think if they le- if they leaned into it too much, I think it would have made the movie just in itself, um, a, like when you add a laugh track to a sitcom, um, yeah, because playing a sitcom survive off of it. But then when the movie can't survive without that laugh, like the show can't survive without that laugh track, and everything comes off as like that was really weird to say. Um, yeah, but at the same time, well, with a sitcom, there are some shows that you know they have a laugh track, and I don't like laugh tracks. But maybe it's good enough and I watch it and as I watch it, eventually I don't notice the laugh track because it's consistent. But imagine a show where like occasionally you'd have random canned laughter. I mean, that, that that's what it feels like to me is like it's a sitcom where there's usually no laugh track, except occasionally there is. And it's just off putting because I'm like, what's that? Why is there a laugh track here? So 
that that's kind of a, how it felt in this movie with its weird sound effects. You see, I feel I feel about it in a way of just if that they kept using those things, they would have made it like, well, that kill wouldn't have been like, it would have made the movie, uh, it would have mocked itself in a way too much and not in like a good meta way. It would have mocked itself in the manner of just like, so this is simply goofy. Um, whereas. Uh, like if they it and they do it in a manner where that the cartoon noises aren't brought to the foreground like crazy um mm-hmm. they they're not just like up in your face it's not just like an air horn going off or anything uh it it's the cartoon sound effect that fits with what's going on even if it is a cartoon sound effect but is background enough that it's not the focus of what's in the scene yeah, and truth be told, I can't, I, I couldn't tell you if if they were more consistent and added more sound effects that I would have enjoyed the movie more. I, I might have liked it less. But I can say that if they just didn't have them at all, I would have liked the movie more. <laughs> I'd be curious to see where, I, I, want, I would like be curious to dissect what kills had the sound effects and which ones didn't to see what differs in those kills. Because I wouldn't doubt if like some of them are meant to be more um forward like forward pushing for the story and those ones didn't have sound effects were the ones that were simply comedic relief were and uh, did include those sound effects so i would i'd be curious to dissect it like that because there's it was definitely intentional when they put it in and the fact that it's not in every one of them means that there is some kind of difference and maybe it was Mm -hmm. just feeling out just like hey that that should have something there or something um I think my favorite, it wasn't a sound effect, but my favorite little sound they put was because they built this whole, they built so much time creating a repertoire between the chef, uh, Yannick, and Steph. Like the two of them just had this whole back and forth that it was almost like, sure, they were coming at each other and kind of insulting each other, but they Mm. were, and it was like, there was clearly like a hate, but there was also kind, there was this nice back and forth that felt like the two were together somehow uh that they just kind of went hand in hand and so when yannick finally has his next snap by steph and like they're they're all close together i love that little sound that they play the sad like breakup song of just like you never call anymore and i i loved that part (laughs) i thought that was beautiful um i i will say i did like um when after yannick poisons uh Steph with the basil he then tells him this long story of how he poisoned someone at yes. one point and that's why he works at the Mexican restaurant and then of course Steph is like you you should you better finish this story so I can kill you <laughs> cuz he he wants to wait cuz he's so intrigued by the story yeah that he's not killing Yannick until he finishes uh, the actor Jim- I thought that was funny Jimmy Simpson he he's a really talented actor honestly uh he plays the roles he plays that's Steph right yeah that's Steph um mm-hmm. he just he put he can play a really interesting variety of roles and bring like a different kind of life to them because like in psych we see him as kind of this like quiet strange awkward uh scientist forensics investigator guy and in this he is like the complete opposite he's this weird kind of like uh extroverted over the world just strange guy um very loud very mm-hmm out there i guess yeah and i gotta say uh, probably one of my favorite roles that he plays is uh, in westworld mm-hmm. uh 
I haven't seen Westworld, but I definitely need to. Yeah, it's a great series, uh, just as that's a tangent. But yeah, he, he plays a character on there um, that's pretty good. And uh, how does that character compare to the two characters I just mentioned? Like, is he wildly different or is, does he share some well, of the he, same he aspects? Does, he does uh, share that sort of quiet nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like yeah. maybe he's a combination between the two, honestly. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything for his character, so I don't no, want to too, too much. <laughs> uh, what I love. Uh, and one thing I want to say about the strange sounds and kind of, uh, I, I, I talked about it in the beginning, but like the, of the strange sounds and all the kind of weird things that you feel are like, just like off that you won't see in a horror movie. Hmm. I feel like that first song that they play the farm animal song, uh, it fits that kind of tone of just like, we're all happy together that you would kind of expect at the beginning of just like, here's the good. Now it's all going to go bad. Hmm. Um, Usually it wouldn't be a farm animal song. That was silly. But uh, I feel like it sets the tone for just like, don't expect seriousness out of this. Like, this is going to be this is going to be some ridiculous stuff. I I do think at that point when that song is playing, you do know that this is going to be a very strange, silly movie. Yeah, it's uh, and I think if you hear that, because I can usually tell I can kind of gauge of the people I've watched it with their enjoyment of the movie based on their reaction to that song because so many of the people that really like the movie they laugh at the absurdity of the song they laugh at just like why is this song playing and the people that don't really like the movie um they they have the same question why is this song playing but they are like weirdly skeptical of it and they're weirdly judging of it they're just like this is this isn't what i want and like that's just kind of how you know like if this movie is for them or not like if they fit into the niche that this movie goes towards because it's a very niche audience that this uh, that this movie hits yeah, I'd say I met that song with uh, confusion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what the fuck? Why is this plane? <laughs> like, I, I was somewhat laughing, but not as if the movie uh, made me laugh. I was just laughing out of confusion of, I don't know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, either way is fine. I think it's just an interesting way to be able to tell who gets the kicks out of the movie and who doesn't. Um mm-hmm. Because like through and through, it's a dividing, and that's why I want to throw it out there. It was because it's such a dividing movie. Um, yeah, and I think also because it's sort of comedy is so intense. I mean, you, you part of the comedy is that these people are being killed and cannibalized, mm-hmm. um, and and that's not so. Di- and that's, I mean, it's not the first time that comedy is involved with people getting injured or killed, right? Like there's like in slapstick, even though that's not what this is people laugh at someone falling down the stairs and getting horribly injured. Like, it's not a weird thing. Um, But I think in this movie, it can be more polarizing because it's so intense. You know, you do have that blood and you do have uh, that that violence uh, that I think a lot of people would shy away from and not really be able to laugh at. Exactly. And I think that's what makes it such a niche thing. And you said it well, it's the blood Um, because there's blood. That's what makes it such a weird comedy. Uh, comedies mm. don't have blood but yet one of the first kills we see there's blood sprayed all over the person uh that yeah. is sitting across from the victim and that i think that's what makes it so niche is it's targeted towards an audience that is very comfortable with that kind of gore but appreciates absurdity but then also looks at um also just looks at a movie in a light of 
kind of the creation of the movie in a manner. Because like the whole mm-hmm. time I'm thinking like, what is he thinking while he's doing this? Um, rather than just kind of like losing myself in the movie. Like I'm appreciating the absurdity of the writing and like the strange decision making going on. So I think that, yeah, it's, I think that it's such a polarizing thing because it has, you have to hit so many check marks throughout everything to really get mm. enjoyment out of this movie. And the fact is not most, most people don't hit all those check marks. Yeah, I'd agree. And, and I will say, uh, you know, you do have blood, right? And that's not to say that you can't enjoy bloody comedy because of course tucker and dale is a comedy that a ton of people really liked in our audience and we i i loved it i gave it a 10 out of 10 mm. um and that has a lot of blood and it's still funny and i think that comes back to um that sort of weird thing we have where we are uncomfortable with tragedy when the person who undergoes that tragedy did nothing to ask for it even if it's minor like in, in Tucker and Dale, spoiler alert, but you know, the college kids are mistaken and they're being dumb. And so they're getting killed uh, in sort of funny ways that's their own fault. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of can kind of laugh at that. But in this movie, it's, you know, these innocent people really are being tortured, uh, but in a very absurd and comical way. And I think that, that that's what really sets it and what can make people uncomfortable, I think. And uh, it's interesting you say that about Tucker and Dale, because uh, I, I do love that Tucker and Dale still made it so that there were people that made a mistake. And that's why this is happening, that mm-hmm. uh, committed the sin. Um, when I was watching Tucker and Dale, I was actually watching because there's not while there is a lot of things that would draw blood, there isn't that much blood in the movie. Um, most of the blood you see is residual, meaning like when someone is gouged on a spear, they uh. The, there's blood on the spear, but it's not dripping off the spear or anything. Um, even the wood chipper scene, if I recall correctly, this is one scene I'm not totally sure of. But the wood chipper mm-hmm. scene, you just see the guy like his legs flailing, and the most blood you see is when they're dragging him off, and the blood isn't even like left on the ground. You can just tell that like there was blood on the body. Well, you do see uh, that when he's put into the wood chipper, what immediately happens afterwards is we see the blood spurt out of the wood chipper yeah. on the other side, and it sprays one of the college kids. That's right. Um. But there is, I would agree, a disconnect between that, like getting sprayed with blood through the wood chipper, and the scene in this movie where uh, when Keta gets stabbed in the back through the liver, uh, I assume, uh, and then that sprays uh, Cricket across, or not Cricket, uh, no Cricket, across yeah. from her. And I think that that is very directly attributed to that is a person being stabbed and that blood is coming out of them and onto this other person, where there is a like actual mechanical separation in Tucker and Dale between the person dying and the blood being sprayed out. Uh, that's no, I, I totally agree. There is that mechanical separation. And on top of that, if someone were to go in a wood chipper, there would be like pieces of them flying out. You know, there'd be bones. There'd be like bits of like scalp and whatever. Like there would be a lot of person coming out more than just blood. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that it's just blood coming out is is already kind of like a downtone to that if that makes sense yeah so and i will still say it is it is very violent um so i still think that the most compelling reason for me that people are more comfortable with it is because in a way these people are causing it or they they really are they're causing it to themselves um which is more funny Mm -hmm. uh as opposed to someone doing something to someone else and so I think people feel more comfortable to laugh at that. Yeah, I know. 100%. It's not 
it's not violence as much as it is just mistakes and and like silliness. Um, mm-hmm. Where yeah, gravy, it's violence um, that is like ingrained into it. Uh, I, I I was thinking back to Chuck and Dale, and I think the one other time we see blood is when that kid is falling on Dale and the hole they were digging, and like blood comes out of his mouth. And I think yeah, and I remember I thinking think like right. that was a good amount of blood there. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think it's interesting the way the two different movies use blood. Yeah, and and funnily enough, I think the scene because I've watched the Tucker and Dale with a lot of people, mm-hmm. and the scene where where people look away that I've noticed is when Tucker and Dale take the guy out of the wood chipper and they're kind of holding him and dragging him and he's a half guy and mm-hmm. there's like guts on the other side of him. That's the part where I've, you know, even though the people I watch with enjoy the movie, that's the part where they look away. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> it's where it's where the comedy like it or the violence, the gore becomes like a little too much. I think. A, yeah, I'd 100 percent agree. Um. Mm-hmm. And and this and Gravy did not care about that. Uh, probably no, the closest thing they have to that is uh, when Keta in the freezer, who's posed and her legs are gone, and it's just yeah. a torso there. It's very gross. Uh, but yeah, overall, it was just a. Uh, it's interesting because I feel like they're very different, and then Gravy goes off the deep end with it. And yeah, they're very different kinds of horror comedy. While Tucker and Dale is more direct parody, Gravy is yeah. Gravy is an absurdity of the horror um, where, yes, Tucker and Dale has absurdity, but it's not what it's built on. It's built on the parody kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that I think that makes sense. Yeah. And I, th- that's the distinction I'd make between the two. Um, and absurdity is just a thing that doesn't connect with as wide of an audience, like different kinds of absurdity, different ways you use it will just connect with different types of audience. So it's a comedy that just isn't so widespread um where tucker and dale the, they they limit their amount of absurdity and they use um they use the parody aspect a lot more which i think is just going to click with a lot more audiences um mm-hmm. and it's why we hear about tucker and dale a lot today and gravy is such like a weird uh just like side thing that like have you heard of gravy and like so many people just haven't there's that there's a <laughs> niche that have and uh i always find it funny when someone else has well, before we get into the surveys, I did have uh, a not not very well supported crazy theory for this movie oh, okay. that I kind of like. So, um, so you know, uh, Anson, of course, he he goes, he starts the movie. Uh, we start the movie with him going into this uh, gas station convenience store, and uh, you know, talking and flirting with this cashier who appears to be as weird as he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like an instant. They both seem to really click and they want to like meet each other again. And then later in the movie, you know, he's all injured and he um, and of course she asks about it. He's like, oh, well, that's that's a story for another day. Um, and then they reconnect again. What if that this whole thing was a story that a ridiculous story that he made up to tell her about how he got his injuries just as like a fun little story. That'd be interesting. I like that. You know, cause he's such an eccentric guy. He would come up with such a weird story that would yeah. be funny to her. Um, and I kind of like that. Cause then I can still feel good about like how sweet they are together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, he just made up. He just made up that story. It's just something funny to tell her. 
I love, dude, they're flirting in the beginning. It was just hilarious. I love just like that, how they yeah. went into like complete skits together. And like, it's weirdly cringy of just like, why? But then it's just like, well, if it works for them, good on them. Exactly. It's, it's so sweet. Yeah. And it's just two people who are doing, who are having a social interaction that is so out of sorts. It's so, uh, abnormal <laughs> but they're having it together they're sharing that abnormal social interaction and neither of them feel bad about it or embarrassed about it so it's to me it's so it's very sweet mm -hmm. i, I do want to mention two things that i just found hilarious in the movie um i don't think they require much discussion but i love uh, i always love when there's that like weird thing that everyone just knows about for some reason this movie was the army of Port portugal cipher that like, <laughs> of course, like one of the cannibals is just like, it was the army of Portugal cipher. Like he just knew, like as if that mm. was something anyone would recognize. Um, yeah. And, and of course they do set up for it because when Keta is like studying for uh, an ex like a GED exam or something. Um, and so they're, they were talking about like his history stuff. So maybe uh, when Keta and, and the chef knew, but I don't know how Carrie knew or something. Exactly, yeah, that was that was funny. I, I just they yeah. knew exactly. That. Like it's just such a weird thing to know, but everyone's it's like <laughs> they treat it as normal. And I like when a movie does that; just treats like that weird thing as normal. Like of course, yeah, um, that is funny. Of course, a yeah. Portugal <laughs> army like <laughs> Um, crap! I got thinking about that one too much, and I can't remember. Oh, um, no, I lost it again. I'll come back to it maybe if I remember. Uh, cool. So yeah, we have uh, we have our responses, and so I said it's a very dividing audience, and I think our, uh, I think our responses kind of show that. So on the enjoyment, we get a one, two, three, four, and then just a seven, um, which I feel like is probably about the average of what you're going to see in an audience. Uh, like if you just pit, pl uh, pluck out any random ten people, um, that at least enjoy horror, you that that's probably what you're going to see is just like one in every so many people are going to get a good cake out of this movie. Yeah, I'd probably say like yeah, maybe two out of ten people will like this movie. Yeah, exactly. But maybe one person, one out of ten people will really like this movie. Another one will like the movie, and then eight of them will be confused and dislike this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's just kind of how the movie divides up. I find among amongst audiences. Um, what I didn't expect to be so dividing was on a scale of one to ten, how gruesome did you find this movie? We had two people answer two. We had another person answer four. But then we jump up, and one person answers 10, one person answers 8. Um, huh. Someone, it did not click well with someone, uh, the gruesomeness. Or maybe it did click well with them, and they liked it. They just found it very gruesome. So. Yeah. And uh, it, that, that th there's no doubting. Great. It's very, it's, it is a very gruesome movie. Uh, and I suppose what I meant when mm -hmm. I asked that was, how much did it get to you? Which I probably should have phrased. But. I guess it is difficult to say, like, out of all the gruesome things I've seen in movies <laughs> uh I yeah I, I could see how it might not rate highly it's like uh how does it how many times did you look away is what i wanted to know yeah i, I get what you mean well like on a scale of one to ten like ten being too much and one being not enough <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah uh, how, how gruesome uh, okay and so we have our I'm gonna quote unquote has a fear question because the movie isn't meant to scare you in the slightest. It's like Tucker and Dale. Mm -hmm. Um but I asked which of the which aspect was most disturbing, like which bothered you the most, which did make you look away. 
So our mm-hmm. four options were the violent and gruesome deaths and injuries, the preparation and eating of human meat, the chipper attitude of the cannibals mixed with their diabolical desires, and the helplessness of the characters. Which do you think took the cake, Ian? Uh, probably the preparation and eating of human meat, I would say. And which do you think was the least? Probably the helplessness of the characters. Because I just kind of tacked that on there as a fourth option. <laughs> the, uh, so the violent, gruesome deaths and injuries and helplessness of the characters tied for top. What the heck? Why am I so bad at this? <laughs> Um, the least one was the chipper attitude of the cannibals mixed with their diabolical desires. I guess that makes sense. Uh, and that makes sense because it wasn't framed as scary. But like, if you look at it, that's pretty disturbing. I, I, I think it's pretty disturbing. I mean, they come in there and they're all like, oh, howdy-ho, kids. We're yeah. going to eat you. <laughs> but they're, they're, like it was what we were talking about earlier, they are just, they have this wonderful, just like dialogue amidst each other that just makes so much sense. And it's so fun that... It is hard to be disturbed by them in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can see being disturbed by the helplessness of the characters. Uh, and I think that can be hard to differentiate from the other paths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because, yeah, it is it is somewhat disturbing that like, oh, they're just dying. Oh, that's disturbing. Um, because that's, that's also why a lot of people can't like this movie, I think. Yeah. is because they, they, they can't get enjoyment out of the out of the characters because of how helpless they are and they feel bad for them yeah and that and that definitely plays into yeah, it which is not the most disturbing for me because again these characters just don't feel at all real to me so i don't care about them at all mm. so i'd say the preparation and eating of human meat was by far the most disturbing part to me because uh, i don't really care about the characters um so let's see this the response question we had, which cannibal do you take on in a fight to give yourself the best chance, and how do you win? Uh, how about you, Ian? Do you take on Anson, Steph, or Mimi? Anson seems like the most dangerous, I gotta say. <laughs> He's a fighter. He was, he was he was fighting with uh, Hector, and Hector was supposed to be, like, you know, a guy who boxed, like, all the time to get out his aggression, and he mm. lost. So Anson's pretty tough. Um mimi's super unpredictable uh and steph maybe so i think it's close between steph and mimi but i I think i would fight mimi um because i think that she has a certain overconfidence that uh that i could take advantage of in fighting her interesting um and i would take advantage of the the general general rule of thumb that generally speaking a person born a male is going to be stronger than a person born a female you know looking at general population so just looking at those things i think i'd want to take on mimi um and especially if she has the same weapon she had in the show which was like a pair of shears which like a terrible weapon for like one-on-one combat i mean like so unwieldy she she wanted to cut with them which is if you stab with them they can do okay but she was always trying to cut which i found interesting yeah, but though I think the weakness is like you can only stab with two. Otherwise, it gets all like, you know, weird. You can't really stab with one hand with them. So mm. I think I could take advantage of that and just punch her out. Hopefully, <laughs> just block the just block the shears and just. Whoosh. There you go. Okay. So that's what I would take on, and that's how I'd win. Um, see, personally, I would take on Steph because Anson Anson shows that he bites, dude, and 
biting in a oh, fight yeah. sucks. Like just suddenly like missing part of your leg because the dude was willing to get his mouth all gross. Like, no, I don't, I'm not about that. Um, yeah, he's scary. <laughs> yeah, he, he's terrified. He's scary in a fight. <laughs> um, and see, I, I don't think I take on Mimi simply because she's so unhinged that I feel like her, she would act unpredictably. Um, which mm-hmm. I think you mentioned, like it would just be while she did use her shears. I feel like she just yeah. she toys and like in a fight, you don't traditionally toy with someone, you know, I, I think that's why it is close between Steph and me. Yeah. And I just I I can I think I could fare well in a fight if uh, the person were actually like fighting me. But if they're trying to toy with me, even if I do have the upper hand, I don't know how I'm going to be able to predict that. Um, yeah. Where Steph's fight, it was all reaction and it was all action and reaction between him and mm-hmm. uh, Yannick. Yeah, all I'll say about Steph, and of course, I guess you could also make the case that uh, you would beat Steph because he's already been poisoned by Hazel. <laughs> but just let's assume that he's not been, you know, he's not an anaphylactic shock war fighting him. Um, do keep in mind that he is strong enough to turn a person's head around 360 degrees. <laughs> uh, I think that actually requires not that much strength. There's a There's a lot of people that actually break their own necks because they crack their neck. And like they just accidentally go a little too hard. It's a there are people that, that are like, like paraplegic because of that. That sounds like an urban legend. No, that's a that's a <laughs> that's a thing of uh like chiropractors have warned me about and stuff. Is they're like, yeah, I've, I see a dude because he cracked his own neck doing that. Um, interesting. Because <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it's just that one like bit of bone there that holds up. Um, I don't know, man. Turn around three sixty degrees. I mean, there's still a spine there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think you just need to lacerate the one part, though, and you're set. We'll have to try this out. That'd be the muscle. That'd be, we can, we can do a Mythbusters episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who who wants to volunteer? Yeah. We gotta, we gotta see something. Um, but yeah, so I would take on Steph and partially because Steph was tough because of his pain tolerance. And I think I could match his pain tolerance because I'm, I'm good at pain tolerance. So if it was just us trading blows and seeing like who falls first, I'd be like, All right, I'll take that on. That's my all right. I, I see. So you're kind of going like, I'm going to take the most straight up fight. Um, exactly. As opposed to uh, Anson, who seems like he's really strong and willing to play dirty. Uh, and Mimi, who's just very unpredictable. So I don't really know what would happen. It's not a straight up fight. Exactly. So you're like, he, his right, was straight up. Fight. He's he's the most straight up fight I can take. I'm going to take it. See what happens. Yeah, that, that, that's, that makes that's why I'd go with him. Um. All right. So, yeah, but our audience says, OK, the first one, they said none. I would accept the inevitable. I wouldn't be able to live after witnessing that. Wow. Well, you would make a great character in this movie. <laughs> it seems like they all give up immediately. So like if a, they get cornered a, by three people with some knives and they're in a kitchen full of knives and them like they can't like they've got like a freaking boxer in there, too. And what they just give up and get tied I, up. I was very curious how they got tied up. Um, And I thought it was an interesting decision because it is weird that they actually like managed to win that fight um mm-hmm. but they just cut to them all being tied up and i thought that uh <laughs> i i attributed it to just kind of it doesn't exactly matter this is just the situation we're in yeah i mean for me it felt like you know we want the characters to be in the situation so we just need to kind of bridge the gap so we're just going to take out two of the characters by themselves and then we can just get the rest mm-hmm. so like okay fine I, and I think it comes to a certain degree of like a, how much you can forgive a movie. And it's usually based on how much you enjoy the movie. Um, for example, like Endgame, uh, 
the mass populace loves Avengers Endgame. But there's there are people that are like really bothered by the time travel mechanics because it doesn't line up with what they've put up in the past. Uh, for, yeah. For me, I'm willing to say like that's okay. Uh, like it's it's time travel. It's not all gonna make sense. It's weird sometimes. But there are some people that are like, no, that's terrible. I can't believe they do that's that. A, that's actually you've described my mom. Like when stuff like that happens in a movie, like oh, just time travel, she gets incredibly annoyed and she <laughs> cannot enjoy the movie. Um. Me, like, I like I, I did enjoy Avengers Endgame. Like, there are a lot mm. of things that, like, I wish they did differently, and I don't really like that part, and, like, there are some stuff I don't like. But overall, I have to say I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that, that kind of stuff, it won't really ruin the movie for me. Like, this, like, yes, I'll be like, what, you couldn't take them on, but I won't think about it the whole movie. Yeah, you know? it's not sitting with you. And I think there are people that it just sits with, and, yeah, they can't get past it. And that's just how you watch a movie. And, mm-hmm. so, and some people, like, they, they'll uh it makes some directors that they actually like worry about that so they make sure like, all our rules need to match up which is cool and it's cool when they can do yeah that. and i i think that when you think that way when things when you are bothered by those small discrepancies there are series out there that you will get so much from because of their consistent mm-hmm. rule setting and tight storylines uh like dark i think is a great movie or a great series for that rather um like if you love everything to just fit together neatly even if it's confusing <laughs> like i think you really like those storylines that no yeah. excuses we're just fitting things together it's tight i think maybe you get more enjoyment out of that because you appreciate that there's no like plot holes there yeah um and then we all get annoyed at game of thrones last season because, yes of course holy crap I do. I haven't watched the last episode of that because I'm just like, I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> yeah, don't bother. Yeah, I like I'm, I'm considering just never doing it. <laughs> never do it. Yeah, I, I'm considering like if I like have a family at some point, like and I get kids and everything, we're going to watch Game of Thrones all the way up. And then we're not going to watch like at least the last season, maybe even the last three seasons. Oh, really? Because see, I still I, I'm still enjoying it. I haven't watched the last episode. I mean, like the the second last episode I was iffy on, but. Anyway, that's a whole tangent. Um, that is, that is a whole <laughs> tangent. That's all. We could do another. I could talk about. about <laughs> I could talk about six episodes on why the last season of Game of Thrones ruined the entire series for me. Yeah. Um, all right. So our next our next answer. Assuming it's a straightforward fight, I am a small girl and would like to fight a small girl. If I had to be left alone with one, though, I would attempt to wield my womanly wiles to bamboozle the dumb one. Clever. <laughs> I like that he's just the dumb one. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, i assume the dumb one is anson i i think so yeah he is the one that fell yeah. for womanly wiles <laughs> <laughs> oh that is great if i had to be the one i would attempt to wield my womanly wiles to bamboozle the dumb one the, that's uh, great. the third person they, they they took the meme route weirdly they just said i am a cannibal <laughs> So they're just like, yeah, I'll just, you know, just hop on that. That's train. how you win. Yeah. <laughs> that that well, that's literally what um Mimi did apparently. Yeah, exactly. She's just like, all right, I know how to survive this. I'm gonna become a cannibal. <laughs> I'm a cannibal. And then she just rolled with it. Exactly. Um, the fourth, Steph, and use that basal allergy. So they took the Yannick approach of like weaken your enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and you'd have an advantage over Yannick because you won't be on a chain. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, there you go um 
by the way in that fight i love that they throw bert into yannick at some point like bert's just over there suffering and i just it was just hilarious he gets like a knife thrown into him while he's hung upside down she's just hitting him with a frying pan he's, he's thrown into yannick she's like man bert poor bert yeah um all right so the last is i guess it depends on if i have a weapon or not but the con dude probably and i don't know how i would win maybe kick him in the balls knee him in the nose and go ham trying to kill him i don't know Wow, you so you took the Hector route. Yeah, you did. And Hector <laughs> lost, so a oh, man. As long That's as a risky you, one. As long as you don't try to go all Swayze on them, though, you're okay. Yeah, as long as you don't like stand over them and be like, "Ha, huh, I beat I, you." You know, just like don't, don't, don't pull a. If we're talking about Game of Thrones, still don't pull a Viper. Right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I I do love that that, that whole Roadhouse reference. Because um, I hadn't seen Roadhouse up to that point. I got so much more enjoyment after I did see Roadhouse. And I was just like, oh, uh, wow, that scene makes so much more sense. I love that. Um, I, I do like, um, and this is that, that absurdist comedy that I uh, that I can enjoy. Like, to make space for their fight upstairs, they have to move a table. Yeah. So they, like, the both together pick it. up the table <laughs> and move it. And then, like, Anson, like, comes at him with the axe. He's like, ah, just kidding. And he puts it down and then, like, get ready to fist fight. Like, just... They're so, like, like formal and friendly with each other. I do love that. They're like, let's take this upstairs yep. so we don't do it in front of the ladies. Um, <laughs> it, no, that was a whole great sequence. Um, oh, gosh, so silly. But, yeah, it's, uh, overall, uh, I, this was about what I was expecting was people, most people really, like, not enjoying the movie. But mm-hmm. I'm glad that we did get that one person that did. Because I was worried there'd be someone in the audience that didn't quite get it, you know? Um, or that the whole audience didn't wasn't, like, quite the yeah, niche like audience. Yeah, you wanted to have, like, one person. Exactly. Like, All right, I'll roll with it. Yeah, because I, I do think that that's really just how the audience is usually divided up. Um, So it's, it's about what I'd expect. So if you're looking, if you like horror, you like the parodies of horror, and you're just looking for that weird, goofy comedy horror um that has some cleverness behind it but you're not looking for a horror movie that night go for this but if you're looking for a horror movie you want to be scared that night or you want to even if you're just looking for like a tucker and dale versus evil kind of thing this isn't what you're looking for no it's very niche (laughs) and 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 i as a tucker and dale lover can definitely (laughs) confirm that yeah this is not your kind of movie no not in the slightest um any last thoughts you have, Ian? Oh man, I mean, like I, even though I, I really, I don't like this movie. Um, I, I'm not gonna watch it again. <laughs> I, I can't appreciate its, uh, its uniqueness and what it tries to do and uh, its absurdity. Uh, like, it, it, you did it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not my thing, but you did it. All right. <laughs> uh Oh, I'm just I'm just gonna throw out rubber for the audience next time. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Isn't that that's just the tire that goes like around and t- kills people? <laughs> I think I, I must have watched like maybe part of that. I I think that kind of move. I'm also gonna give like a two. Or oh yeah, I'm I'm expecting to give a low two, but I think it's <laughs> it's funny and how terrible it's it is. Um. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to have some bad movies to talk about on this podcast. Oh, yeah, no. We're, we, we're not going to throw just dividing movies at you all the time, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to throw yeah. Blair Witch out there because I think that's a dividing one in a very different way, and I like that one. Mm-hmm. I think you still can get people there who are like, 
complaining about uh you know the actions of the characters not making sense mm-hmm. um personally i'm actually i'm i don't think so i think they actually do characters very well in that but uh you know yeah you can get sort of that um uh annoy or irritatedness from the lack of sensical actions yeah uh yeah blair witch is very it's it's dividing in a weirdly different way but mm-hmm. well one day when we watch that we'll get to that for sure I really should watch that at some point. That is a good one. We do need to get to that one. Um, all right. Well, hey, thank you all so much for watching, guys. Uh, we do streams on Twitch.tv. Uh, we aim for Wednesdays and Saturdays. We're a lot better about Wednesdays. And yeah, we've been bad about it recently. Yes, yeah, so where it's been, it's been very difficult recently. We're trying. We're doing our darndest. Yeah, and uh, if you're interested in choosing what we watch next and watching with us, answering our questionnaire, being involved uh, with our wonderful community, please follow that Discord link in the description. And yeah, thank you all so much. Have a great one. Thanks for listening.